The rest of us, you guessed it, we're going to be turning our Bibles, if you have them, to the book of 1 Peter. Depending on how things go today, we might just finish up this epistle. We might have one more week. We'll have to see how it, how it shakes out. But We're starting chapter 5 today, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 at least. And uh, before we read that, let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word that you give to us, that we can look into it and see, learn, hear your voice, that we might know it for all of our lives and in every part of our lives. Lord, we thank you so much for everything that your scriptures give us, a sense of history, of belonging, of your truth, of your faithfulness, of your activity even yet within this place today. Lord, we ask today that as we read these passages, that by your spirit they would come alive in our hearts, that we might know your voice better so that we can follow it as we try to live out what it means to be your church, what it means to be your people, what it means to be redeemed and glorified in every part of our lives and every interaction and every, everything that we're about. So, Lord, today, use this time. Please speak to our hearts. And I do pray, Lord, that you'd smooth my wrinkles today, too, and that this time would get you glory. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's go ahead and read verse, uh, starting verse 1, chapter 5 of the the epistle of 1 Peter. It says there, So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you'll remember last week, and this is important, I think. Last week as we uh, walked through the ending of uh, chapter 4 and listened to Peter talk about suffering as a Christian, we ended with, with a thought, and I want to just personally thank those of you who reached out to me and had discussions and continued to ponder this idea throughout the week, was that we ended on this thought of when we have trials, we have struggles, we have, you know, whatever, these hard things that we bump up against, and we want to understand, usually that's the first question that comes out into our mind is why, you know, we want to know why am I going through this, why am I experiencing this? But as we seek to understand the trials that we do go through, a good place to start is to look at ourselves. And we talked about last week that there is a a line of distinction between just suffering, that is suffering that we deserve, and unjust suffering, suffering that we don't necessarily deserve. And I do want to just delineate for those of you who may question. Not all of our suffering is a result of something we did. You know, we live in a broken and fallen world, and if we go around uh, blaming ourselves for everything, that's not good either. But it's a good place to start. 
you know, how have I contributed to this, this circumstance? And we talked, we ended last week that uh, Peter said it's time for judgment to start at the household of God. We ended with Peter exhorting to entrust our suffering and our souls, there at the last verse, to our faithful creator while we were doing good. So a lot of, a lot of kind of big, far-reaching, if you will, things that we kind of pondered over last week. And the reason I wanted to go over that is because at the beginning of chapter 5, and this is not in every translation, but I went back to the original language on this one to make sure, is that I know in the ESV, I, it starts verse 1 with, so. Anybody else have that? I, don't, I know there's lots of translations around. I think in some translations it's not there. It just starts out with, I urge you, or I exhort you, or whatever. But when that so is there, it's important. And like I said, I... I was like, eh, is this, you know, because it's a pretty small word. I thought maybe the, the translators from the Greek were just, you know, making it flow. But no, it's in the Greek. It's the word tous, T-O-U-S. It means therefore. So the reason I'm spending so much time talking about this is because as we look at what happens next in this passage that we just read, it's the intent of the author, it's the intent of this passage that we take all that stuff and apply it to what we we're talking about today. These aren't separate ideas. He's saying, therefore, because of all that stuff, now this is how you apply that. And th knowing the why sometimes is very important for us. Because we know that we humans have a tendency, don't we, to, to separate out parts of our lives. And I don't know, I don't know sometimes why we do this so much. One of the, I mean, shoot, you ever had, uh, you ever have like a blast from the past? Uh, so where like you're hanging out with your, your people or whatever in your community and in, in your town or whatever it is. And, you're, and all of a sudden, here comes a face that you haven't seen for 15 years and it's from a whole different phase of your life. And you were a completely different person then. And now they just came into this circle here and you're like, this is weird, a collision of my two selves that up to this point had been safely separate, you know? But now here we are. Um, that happens sometimes. One of the, I'm, on a personal level, sometimes it's hard to, you know, be a pastor that works in law enforcement because I'm continuously, you know, okay, which is it today? Is it grace I'm offering or is it justice that I'm offering? You know, it's, it's a hard thing we tend to, and just as people, I use myself as an example, but as people, we tend to separate out our lives into different segments. You know, this is my worship segment of my life. This is the mode or the person that I become when it's time for worship. And then here's the mode that I become when I go to work. And they're two completely different people. Or here's the mode that I go into when I'm at church, but I'm at a business meeting. You know, we tend to just sort of segment out. And sometimes the lines don't cross. And we should always try to work to meld ourselves into one, a one, one person, right? We don't want to be two-faced. Nobody wants to. But here, Peter, he says, so in light of all that stuff, in light of the humility that you've, you've been offered and how you should engage hard things when they come, now let's bring that instruction for how we engage hard things and let's bring it in to 
the organizational structure, let's bring it into the leadership structure and the nuts and bolts of how it is that you all are doing this church thing, this life thing. A lot of this especially is important, not just to make ourselves not two-faced, you know, not to just be one person over here and one person over there. But honestly, the whole book that we've talked about so far has been really tuned into the idea of going through hard things, you know, talking about, I mean, the, the very fact, you know, I kind of touched on this in my little preamble today, but like, like uh, the book starts with to the exiles, you know, those who are scattered. These are people, it was, this was written to the 12 tribes of, of, of the Jewish people that were scattered all over and they were Christian, but so they were in, them, in and of themselves feeling divided maybe, you know, between their Jewish heritage and their new Christian covenant that they were living in. Now they were scattered and, and foreigners in foreign lands and trying to juggle who they were before God and who they had to be because of their political situation wherever they were. But it's especially pointed toward applying this humility to the nuts and bolts of how God's people operate, especially in hard times. Especially in hard times. And it's important, and Peter reminds us, I feel like, I feel a little bit like I, I hope I didn't lead anybody down the wrong direction, but as we've been talking about a lot of these trials and sufferings and stuff, we've individualized it a lot. You know, we've been thinking of it in terms of individual struggles that each of us have and go through, and they're, they're as varied as the colors of the rainbow. You know, I mean, uh, we go through different things, and different things hit us harder, but especially, or something that needs to be noted is, is as we look at this, is that we experience trial together as well. Trial together, not just individualized trial. The whole context of this is the whole congregation, the church, or God's people who are scattered by all these threats is and continues to be under threat. And even now, even now, we were talking about it just before the service, there are, there's just a lot coming at us. I had a discussion just this morning with some friends of mine and uh, you know, people were talking about different things that were going on in their various churches. And, and I asked them a question. And, you know, okay, three guys in a room is not an a accurate, maybe, survey of the real, true landscape of the area. But I, but I asked, I said, do you guys know of any churches in Mahaska County that are just really just rocking and rolling? You know, everything going great, growing, maturing, everything just just clicking and I mean I'm a little bit biased I think we're doing okay but we've got our shared struggles too here you know and I didn't I didn't just for the record I didn't say well we up at Tainer are doing awesome we're perfect up there you know no far from it the church as a whole not only at the writing of this book but the church now has a lot of things that are coming at it. Lots of ways that the enemy is at work, even now, to divide and to tear apart the things that God has built, the things that God has put together. The enemy 
as you, we read in the next few verses here, is like a roaring lion, you know? He's walking around looking at who he can devour. The enemy is at work to tear apart things. And it's important as we read these next few lines here that we know and are convinced of the fact that we are in this together. We, as all God's people, are in this together. We must not lose sight of that, of his love in it. So, Peter's instruction. Let's just dig into it here for a little bit. He says, to the elders. Now, I'd look back at the Greek on this too, because I want to make sure that I portrayed this accurately to you. The word that he uses for elders means those, you who are older. You who are older. But it also is to those who hold office. Those who are bishops, teachers, preachers, leaders. What we call elders here in this at Tainer, you know. Our elders, our leaders. The people that have been appointed into leadership. And this is what he tells them. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And then he says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It's kind of uh, not, I don't know, maybe your, your uh, translation, if you have an NIV or a, any of the other alphabet soup. Uh, translations, maybe it says things a little different. But there's a couple things I think that are worth highlighting here. And I think that we are pretty familiar with these ideas, but when he talks about exhorting someone, does it, I like a classroom setting where we can have back and forth. I understand that's not maybe the case here, but to exhort is not just to, like, put down an edict Okay, it's not, to, it's not a new command I give you. What an exhortation is, it's kind of like, I've heard it said, you know, uh, like how you, would, how you would bring something to your dad. It's, you, you, uh, it is an ask. There is an asking that is happening here from Peter, but he's asking in an encouraging way. He's bringing, he's coming alongside. He's asking, come, come. It's like a, Come here and let me ask you. So it, it's a different than just say this, this, I, this command I give to thee. He says, come close, you who are like me, who have been put in leadership. Come and listen and let me ask you, shepherd. Lead. Now, it's funny, because of course, right? If you've been appointed as a leader, of course you're a leader. But, we've talked about this already this, in this book, is what, is what would be the opposite of leading? You know, shepherd, lead, as opposed to not leading. <laughs> you know, I mean, okay, that's maybe a cheap shot. But we all know that we have a tendency, as men women as people, to be passive. And especially sometimes it, and I, you know, gosh, time flies when you're having fun. I can't, I can't believe that I've been here for nine years. 
But even so, even starting out, as, you know, when I was appointed pastor here, and I know because I've been in your shoes, those of you guys who have been appointed elders over the years, there are times when you're given a, a yoke of leadership, you're given responsibility, and you feel, wow, this is big, and then at the end, and it's kind of neat, or it's, it's, a, it's a vote of confidence, and that's great. But have you ever... Maybe a show of hands of guys who have served as elders. Have you ever felt like, oh boy, this is really pretty, pretty much too big for me. I probably shouldn't maybe be doing this. Yeah, all of us, myself included. Like when you're given a yoke of responsibility, especially when it's in a spiritual capacity, they, the two go hand in hand. And that's not bad, as we're going to read on later as Peter continues to give instruction. But when you step into a position of leadership and you feel that it's too big or that you're not quote-unquote qualified to do it, a natural tendency is to just kind of shrink back and be a wallflower, you know? I'm just going to go with the flow, and I'm going to trust the other guys that I'm with until I can get my bearings. But Peter says that they are to shepherd, to lead, to be act. This is an active As we continue to go through this list of things, it makes a lot of sense to us, right? As, you know, it makes, a, makes sense to us as leaders, but it also makes sense to us as people who have been led. Because every single one of us, I would get, venture to guess, in here at one time or another, has been under leaders. Of one size or shape or, of, or role or another. You know, you all have a boss, or, or you've all had parents, okay? Anybody here that hasn't had parents? We need to talk. <laughs> we all know what it feels like to be led well or if we don't know what it feels like to be led well we certainly know what it's like to be led not well right did somebody say amen that's awesome (laughs) a good leader you know a good leader is someone that will never ask you to do something that they wouldn't do themselves, you know? That when they show up, things get better. When you're, when you're, when you're, man, it's awesome to have a boss when they show up and you're just doing your work and they show up. You're not like, oh, man, boss is here. It's great when you're like, oh, yes, boss is here. Hopefully you've had some like that. Good leaders are discerning. They can walk into a situation that looks really bad and reserve judgment to see, you know, should I come down hard on on this situation or should I wait and see what the world's going on first? They're discerning. They listen to the people that are underneath them. They can see past the what, maybe to the why. They're not careless with words or actions. You know, they're not quick to fly off the handle or to, to pronounce judgment. They're not careless with people, and they lead by example. Bad leaders are just the opposite, you know. Uh, we, Peter says to not do these things. A bad leader is one, look, I mean, we can go down the list. A bad leader is one who leads out of compulsion, you know. Well, I have to. <laughs> That's real motivating for the people underneath you, right? Oh, I have to do this, I have to do that. But willingly, not for shameful gain. Uh, have, you, have you ever been under a leader 
or under a boss that will throw you under a bus in a heartbeat if it's going to make them look better. Not domineering over those in your charge. Somebody who lords it over you and pushes their weight around. We all know, certainly, I think we've probably all at one time or another had a bad teacher or a bad boss or a bad situation and seen all of these qualities at work. But Peter's instruction is to exercise oversight. Again, it's not because we have to, it's not passive, but willingly as God would have you. Not for clout or accolades or recognition, but because of the kingdom. Enough about that. He also says that there's a reward for you. He talks about when the chief shepherd appears, you'll be given an unfading crown of glory. Now, I, I, this phrase curi- made me curious, so I looked into it. And it seems that Peter, in, this, in the writing this, invented this title for Jesus, the chief shepherd. And it's kind of a cool thing, and he, I think he repeats it, or it's repeated again, and I think Hebrews, this idea of Jesus being the chief shepherd. But for those who have been given roles of leadership, this is, this is a, an honor to be called shepherds after the chief shepherd, doing the same work that it is that Jesus does. Here's, here is the chief of the office that you have been appointed to, your leader, the chief shepherd. A mark of honor for sure to be representing Jesus. And he talks about this crown of glory. We all know that there's very, very much to be gained and very, very much to be lost, lost that has to do with how well our leaders do, right? Now, those of you who are leaders or have been leaders, is that... Uh, an uplifting idea? Or is it a heavy one? To me, it's a heavy one. To me, it's extremely heavy that there's so much at stake, and, and I think we all know. I mean, like, I don't know, I'm looking around at the elders, you know, who are all stone-facedly listening to me right now. But, man, guys, and does that not humble us? Because we know the things that we do that we could do better every, every day. Things that we could engage better. Things that we could engage more proactively. Ways we could listen better or direct better or love better. Administer this church thing better. It's very humbling to any leaders. Well, that's the aim. That's the point. Is to humble our hearts. Why? So that we think less of ourselves? Well, maybe, but the aim is to humble our hearts, to humble ourselves as Christ humbled his. It is a big calling. It is a, a powerful burden. And it is one that is extremely critical and that there's much to be gained or lost by. And so that ought to humble our hearts the way Christ humbled his. Now the younger people. Now Peter doesn't take nearly as much time on the younger people, except that he says, younger ones, do likewise. So all that stuff, you you younger people all are given the same exhortation as well. Do the same. 
and be subject. Put yourselves under them. He concludes with all of you guys, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And that is the, that is the thing. That is the thing that is our weapon. Remember, our weapon against the darkness that tries to encroach upon us is taking on Christ's mindset, submitting ourselves toward one another in love. That's how we win. That's how we win. There's two things about that. I heard very recently... In an unrelated thing, it just happened to come to me, so maybe, I'll, maybe that's from the Lord. I don't know. There was a scientific study, you know, scientific, right? They did all their double-blind whatever and all the scientific jargon or whatever, but they did a scientific study because they wanted, to, they wanted to study the effect of confession on relationships. Because whether or not we would ever choose to admit it, we all walk through our lives thinking that if People know our flaws, and if we admit to our flaws, that people will think less of us. Yeah? It's true. We think that. We operate in that way. We do whatever it takes to whitewash our imperfections so that people won't think less of us. Well, do you know, you have, take a guess, take a wild guess what this scientific study concluded. What they did was, oh man, I don't want to take too much time with it. Uh... They did a test, okay? I'm not going to go into the details of it. But it turns out that 92% of people, 92% of people in their blind scientific study trusted a person more after they confessed to having made a mistake than they did when they didn't confess to making a mistake. 92% of people in a blind scientific test trusted someone more after they admitted to making a mistake than if they just made an assertion without first make, making an admission in it. So, I can stand here before you today and tell you scientifically, confession, when we come across things, ways that maybe we haven't submitted well to leadership, or areas maybe where we have been in leadership and feel like we'd failed or hadn't done it right, if we confess those things and just say, yeah, man, okay, this thing, we could have done that better. How can we do it better? Admitting to that will, what? Build trust. Reflect Christ's humble heart. Ellicott's commentary says, indeed, Mutual submission, so leaders submitting to the people, or the people, the youngers, the youngers submitting to the elders, is the only safeguard in the face of a common danger. That's a pretty bold assertion, isn't it? Mutual submission is the only safeguard in the face of, an in the face of a common danger, one we all have in common. He says, an unbroken front must be presented and the sense of brotherhood fostered. We're all in this together. Whether you're in a position of leadership or in a position of not leadership, us submitting to one another, talking, listening, acting in the midst of opposition is how we win. I know that we're 
we as a, as a family, as a body, we're growing. We're trying to figure out how to progress, how to shift to the next gear, you know, how to, how to be better, how to love each other better, how to nurture, how to mature one another, you know, iron sharpening iron. We're trying to figure out how to do that. And not one of us in here, not me, not any of the elders, not any of the other leaders, none of the staff have the, have the like, the golden plan book, you know, or whatever. We're trying to sense from the Lord how to do it, but it takes everyone. It takes everyone. You know, I'm trying to think, you know, how, or I, as I was preparing for today, I was trying to think, well, how do, how do we apply this in the 21st century, you know? And that's been like a theme in my mind, if you didn't know. 21st century men. How do we apply this in the 21st century church? And that's just it. We have to submit ourselves to one another. Listen to one another. But talk to one another. If you have an idea, if you have an idea, if you have a thought, if you have a, a stirring or a passion, and you're in leadership, it is your job to speak it. To offer it. God is working through you. If you have a, and if you have the same, and you're not in leadership, it's your job to express it, to talk to the leaders. And leaders, it's your job to what? To listen, to hear, to guide, to discern. Especially in the midst of opposition. It's not a time to get quiet. When the enemy's upon us, it's not a time to get quiet. It's a time to, to get ready. <laughs> As I spoke last week, church, and I'm going to conclude with this. In the midst of opposition, keeping our mission in focus. And what is our mission? To me, our mission is to display those qualities of God. His creative qualities, his redemptive qualities, his discerning qualities. To display those and offer those in everything we do and everything that we are. In order that we might win some for Christ. We might see his kingdom come. His will be done on earth, even as it's done in heaven. We've got a long way to go, yeah. But we've come a long way too. The key is... Learning, again, submitting to one another in love that his church might get built. So may it be so in us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you show us by example. And it's been confirmed and affirmed over and over and over again that when we lay ourselves down, your power shows up. So Lord, I ask that as we continue to strive to follow you and what it is that is your will for this church, for the future, for our relationships, for our callings, Lord, things that you would ask us to do as your people. Help show us, Lord, how we can confess to things that we've done wrong, see things that we could do better, carry the burdens of leadership or serving in a way that gives you glory. Help us, Lord, to throw away things that we do unknowingly to protect ourselves when we ought to be letting you have full sway. And Lord, I ask that you would guide us into glory in your plan and your will as we continue to serve you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.
just want to invite you to stand, sing with us.